Morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for asking. We're working on a series of messages called Love and Truth. This is part number three. If you've missed part one or part two, I want you to go and go onto our website or onto YouTube and listen to it. Uh, listen to whatever one you've missed, because here's why I would say that. In this series, we're going to be talking about some hot-button topics that are relevant in our society that we live in today. And when we get there, even today, we are so getting so deep into this series that if you just start listening now, you might be offended unnecessarily. You would do well to go listen to where we're coming from and how we get to where we're going. And if you haven't heard that, like, honestly, today we're talking about truth, truth, and uh, uh, probably everybody's going to be offended today, but you will be even more offended if you haven't heard where we're coming from, okay? Jesus, as we just look into your word, could you do exactly what Kevin just asked? Could you open up our minds to see if what is said here out of my mouth is actually true? Amen. Our theme verse for this series is Ephesians 4.15, and you guys probably know it by heart already. Instead, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Our goal through this series is to speak the truth in love. That's sometimes a lot easier said than done. Sometimes it's hard to be loving. And sometimes it's hard to speak the truth. But our goal is to speak the truth in love. Are you guys with me? Read that entire verse with me again. Don't just read the yellow. Read the whole thing. Okay, you guys ready? Ephesians 4.15 Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. First Sunday, we kind of laid the foundation. Second Sunday, we talked about love. Today, we're going to talk about and we already know that love and truth are impossible to separate if you're biblically accurate. So it's a little tough to do that, but we're going to focus, we're going to lean towards the truth side today. But it's not a small task. Uh, Paul asked this question to the Galatians. He said, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's the nature of telling the truth. So please know that I'm not trying to become your enemy. And even to anybody outside the church, or maybe you're a visitor, I'm not trying to become anybody's enemy. What we're trying to do is written right there. What we're trying to do is speak the truth in love. Here we go. Relativism, $10 word, that simply says this. There is no, go to the, go to the next slide, if, uh, that way everybody can see what I'm saying. Relativism says this, 
There is no one single universal truth that applies to all people. Scripture says there is one single universal truth that applies to all people. Namely, the Bible, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So I'll, I'll read this again, because this is... Anybody who is not living under a rock knows that this is something to say, okay? Relativism says there is no one single universal truth that applies to all people. In other words, depending, relativism would say that depending on which continent you grew up on, which nationality you come from, which religion your parents were, all those things might determine what's true for you. That's what relativism says. Scripture says that there is actually one single universal truth that, that applies to all people on the planet. Does that bother you? If that gives you the slightest twinge of, oh boy, then relativism has already affected you. What in our world, we'll start broad, okay? In our world, what does the world call people who believe what's on the right hand of that screen? What's a word for them that you could say in church? Christian should be Christian, but intol yeah, 100%. We're intolerant. What's another word? Extremist? Bananas? Yep. Fanatic? Bigots? Close minded? Bible thumper? There's a whole list. Our but it's not just, when I say the world, I'm talking about our classmates. I'm talking about people in our school. I'm talking about people at your workplace. Maybe your family. Maybe your kid. Maybe your mom or dad. Jesus didn't say that I'm one of the truths. Jesus didn't say that I am one of the truths. He said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. He even clarified, he said, no one can come to the Father except through me. Let's just read a different verse, though, because that's tough. Second Thessalonians 2.10 says this, Wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth, and so we saved. It's interesting to me that word, or those two words, the truth, and how they are different than if it would just say something like true, or maybe it's a true statement. Think about the two statements written on the bottom there. God's word is true versus God's word is truth. What are the implications of each sentence there? What's the implication of God's word is true? There's possibly other things that are true. Exactly right. It opens the door. Because when we say the word true, it's actually only an adjective. And I'm not that good at grammar, but I know the difference between an adjective and a noun. 
An adjective is a describing word. A noun is a thing or a person or a place. So when we say something like God's word is true, we're just describing God's word. It's true, but it opens the door. There might be other things that are true. And so it's actually not, it's not a false statement. It's just not, it's just not complete. It's not quite as powerful as it ought to be. But when we say God's word is truth, okay, now that becomes offensive because you've just defined it. Now if God's word is truth, then it's actually a noun. It's a thing. And if, and if his word is the truth, then everything else, it then becomes the backbone for everything else. It becomes the measure by which every other statement ever made on earth is going to have to be measured up against to see if it's true. And so when you look at this in Scripture and it says the truth, you can look in any, you can do a word study on that. It's a noun. There is some, there's a few verses that use an adjective of true in Scripture, but when he describes Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and even God's Word, it says the truth. It's a noun. It's definitive. And it's absolute. Absolute truth is very offensive. So offensive that you could accurately say it's divisive. Because if you just simply say God's word is true, well then there could be some other things that are true, and well you believe it's true, and I believe this is true, and we can all, whatever, be happy. But as soon as I say God's word is truth, Now it's divisive because what are you doing? You're forcing people to be on one side or the other. There's no middle ground anymore. And it becomes, that's why it's very offensive. But the Scripture tells us this exactly, the nature of Christianity. Because it's based on the truth. Let's just keep, I'll just read, I'll be quiet, read some Scripture. But thank God, He has made us His captives we could talk about that, and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Who wouldn't want a sweet perfume? Keep on reading. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance, rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a... Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a... Some people don't even know that's in the Bible. I'll just read the whole thing again. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, did Jesus come 
and, and just with the whole purpose of his coming was to just rip people apart and destroy families? No, that's not what we're saying. But when we acknowledge him as the truth, it's so offensive, it becomes divisive. And when somebody in a family says, Jesus is the truth, and someone else says, that makes me so uncomfortable, I can't acknowledge it, guess what happens? We start causing. There is a division that's caused. Jesus said to expect this. And, but you might be saying, no, 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 Delan, I, ob- I object to that. Because when, when the angels came, remember the angels, Jesus' birth, we, we sing about this every Christmas. What did they sing? Glory to God in highest. Peace on earth. Right? Let's read it. Luke 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. It's not some kind of um, uh, uh, a false sense of peace and the world peace that if we all just watered down the truth enough, maybe we could eventually find some common ground and have some kind of a man-made peace. He said, no, this peace actually comes from whom God's favor rests on. It's not actually for everybody. In order to get to that peace, you have to conform to the cornerstone. You don't get to pick the foundation. You've got to conform to where the cornerstone is. And if you do, you get to experience His peace, because He's the Prince of Peace. But it's only on those to whom His favor rests. How offensive is that? (laughs) You guys uncomfortable? Are you uncomfortable? uh, Jesus said these famous words in John 8. The truth will set you free. Amen? We throw those words around. The truth will set you free. What are we saying with that? The truth will set you free. Really? Not a true statement will set you free. Not if you say something that isn't a lie is going to set you free. We're talking about the truth. There's an absolute truth that can set you free. This is not, that is not a statement for everybody. That is a statement, it's a conditional statement only for those who conform to the cornerstone. Read the whole verse. To the Jews who had believed him... Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the offensive nature of the truth. You ever wonder why Jesus came into the world? Do you ever wonder why Jesus came into the world? To save us. Kev said to testify to the truth. He already knows where we're going on this one. I'll just tell you this. The common answer, people often say, well, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to save me from my sins or something like that, which is not incorrect. 
it's just not complete. And when you say the complete version of why Jesus came into the earth, it is very highly offensive. We'll just go through some scripture, and I'll, I'll let scripture say the answer, okay? In 1 John 3, 8, it says this, The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Okay, so we'll go slow. If we look in John 8 to understand who the devil is, he, the devil, if you read verse 42 and verse 43, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if Jesus, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work, and if we know that the devil has no truth in him, he is the father of lies, what would Jesus have to do in order to destroy his work? Destroy lies. Let's read John 18. Jesus is standing. Oh, I made some words read that should not be read. My bad. Jesus did not say, you are a king then, said Pilate. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pilate said, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate said, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, and this is what he said, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And if that wasn't enough of a statement, let's just stop there. The reason he came was to testify to the truth. It's a noun. If you, if you stood up and said that on a street corner in a mall, you might not be here next Sunday, right? But Jesus goes even farther. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. In your Bibles, if you have them, you should open, up, open it up to that verse, okay? Because I'm not going to show you what the next one is. I want you to see it in your own Bible. And if you didn't bring your Bible, take a pen and write it down on the back of the bulletin, that scripture verse, because it, it would be good to know that one. Because you're going to recognize something here that people do. The tendency of people, the tendency of people's human nature, my tendency is to do exactly what Pilate did. When Jesus said these words, our tendency is to behave like Pilate. Jesus said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then what did Pilate do? He says, what is truth? And then what did he do? He turned and walked away. And Pilate wasn't a horrible person. 
We know from his actions he actually wanted to help Jesus. He didn't even want him to be crucified. He wanted Jesus to be set free so that he wouldn't have to get crucified. He was, he was almost on Jesus' side. But it's one thing to kind of, you know, kind of like Jesus, and I kind of, I kind of want to stand for him, but, ooh, the truth? Mm, that is so hard to swallow. Pilate did what so many people do, and even many Christians, and just said, yeah, I, I, my heart kind of goes to, it, to Jesus, but, ah, the truth? And he turned and walked away. Jesus' words are really clear. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And when he's, Jesus is praying in John 17, he, he says, he clarifies that again. He says, they are not of the world, talking about his disciples, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, he's praying to his Father, and he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Can we just read that one more time? I'll just read the verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So I want to point out that Jesus said that. You guys know what this is? It's a puzzle. What's the puzzle of? It's a puzzle of a lion. It says on the box here, there's a thousand pieces in there. This is not going to be a puzzle for me, okay? My favorite, my favorite puzzles have like four pieces, okay? Anyway, this is a really simple example, but this puzzle represents truth. If you want to put this puzzle together, what's the first thing you would look at? The picture on the front. The picture on the front represents the Bible. As soon as somebody, because God's word is truth. So if you want to know what truth is, you're going to have to look at the Bible to know how to put it together. As soon as you discredit the Bible, as soon as you go, well, you know, I don't know if that part's true. As soon as you go, well, I'll take those parts out, you actually are taking the picture away. And so if I would take this puzzle and I would just take the cover off and hand it to somebody and say, put the puzzle together without the picture... That would rule out quite a few of us, but there might be some that really avid puzzlers, hey, I'm up for the challenge. But the problem is, in the world, as soon as you take away or discredit the Bible as truth, not only do you take the picture away, but you are actually taking puzzle pieces from different puzzles and adding them into that same pile of pieces and then trying to put truth together. Good luck. It's not going to work. At very best, what you're going to do is take pieces that don't fit and you're going to have to bang them together like that and say, that there, that one fits. That's sometimes how I put puzzles together. But <laughs> That's the nature of the truth. In Canada, we live in a society of public atheism. 
You can have your own private belief in God. You can have your own private belief in God, but publicly, keep your mouth shut. It is taboo to say anything out loud. It is. I was reading the Canadian Encyclopedia this week, and by the way, that's a website, not a book. And does anybody else remember when those were books? Like the entire World Wide Web was like on my mom and dad's shelf right there. <laughs> From A to Z. Anyways, there's a website called the Canadian Encyclopedia. And it, it says, it's a, it's a current article. And it says this, Christianity is, the re, uh, Christianity is the religion of some 80% of Christians. Where were Christians first called Christians? Who knows their Bible really well? Antioch. It says that in the book of Acts. Those guys in Antioch would look at that statement and go, eh, I don't think we're talking the same language. But the preamble to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms states this, and I'm quoting, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God, and on it goes. I'll read that one more time. The preamble to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms states, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God, And in this article, it goes on, and I think this is a good quote. I'll just read it. It says, But since the 1950s, there has been a significant shift away from the Christian language in public life. If Canada was a Christian country that believed words like Jesus said, Your word is truth, I'm going to put a period there and I'll just skip the rest of that paragraph and I'll just ask this question. Just imagine that if I'll put a period there too. Okay, new paragraph. How many of I want, I'm trying to say this carefully because the leader of Canada is God's servant. Romans 13 says that three times. After this next election, the leader of Canada will still be God's servant. To bring about whatever God needs, decides that we need in Canada. Okay? That being said, how many of the leaders of any part, political party in Canada are willing to stand up at a debate and pull out this book and say, guys, it says right here in the Bible that fill in the blank, and therefore I think we should run our country based on this. How many parties do that? And you might say, Delan, I have an objection here. Um, this whole thing about truth. What if I 
What if somebody, let's just say, it's always somebody, it's not you, I know, right? But what if somebody believes something a little different and, and they're sincere about it? Like, with all their heart, they believe that. And, and this is a good one. I've heard this before. In their heart of hearts, they, they believe it. Delan, I believe with my heart of hearts this. What does Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 say? The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. Who can even understand it? Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. If it wasn't for God's written and unchanging and solid, accurate word, we would be doomed. Because our hearts on their own are wicked and deceitful. Where do we have to go for truth again? Let's just look at that one more time. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Buddha is not the truth, nor are his words. Muhammad is not the truth, nor are his words. Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell are not the truth, nor are their words. Scientific methods have discovered many true things. But science is not the truth. This is the truth. Amen? <laughs> Boy, is that offensive. We're not even close to being done offending people. Let's keep reading. God our Savior wants... Okay, you guys kind of... I don't want to be alone here. God our Savior wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's that noun again. That noun, by the way, those words, the truth, when it's a noun, are 70, appear 75 times in the New Testament. This sermon is just going a little drop in the bucket. You want to do word study? Go for it. They, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. And that mediator is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There is that absolute truth. But just in case there is still somebody here who is not uncomfortable, I'll, I'll go even farther. There is no human teacher, even a Bible teacher, whose words are the truth. There is no preacher on the planet whose words are the truth. This is the truth, okay? John MacArthur's words are not the truth. He teaches many true things and statements. An excellent teacher, but his words are not the truth. This is the truth. Chuck Swindoll, John Piper, Beth Moore, Lisa Bevere, John Bevere, 
Francis Chan, Billy Graham, Leonard Barkman, Delan Barkman, Dennis Brown, Kevin Friesen. Their words are not the truth. This is the truth. They certainly, all those people that I listed, my understanding from them is that they desire to say true things. And when they speak these words, that is truth. But their words are not the truth. This is the truth. And so we as Christians, and even when I say something up front, your job is to go home and be like a Berean believer. They're commended in Scripture because they went home and diligently studied the truth to see if what was said was actually the truth. You with me? It's a huge danger that whenever you put anybody on a pedestal, you better be careful because it says this in 2 Timothy, the time's going to come when people are not going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Why would somebody turn aside from this? This is the truth. Why would somebody turn away from this? Offended. Huh. Might be uncomfortable. It might feel unnatural even. It might be a tough sell that if you speak the truth, they might not buy it. So what do people do? They do what Pilate did. Ah, oh, Jesus, I liked you. That truth. And they can't, they can't grab it, turn and walk away. I'm going to give you two examples from Scripture. It happened in the Old Testament. There's another great example in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the example, remember, remember when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? Do you remember when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? Okay? If you don't, it's a really cool story in Scripture. I'll tell you a really quick version of it, okay? When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. What? You remember that story? Yahweh has just through miracle after miracle after miracle, sustaining them in the desert and getting them out of Egypt, he has set them free. And now they're saying to Aaron, Moses is taking forever. Make us some gods. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Why are they doing this? Who's going to park here? Why, why, are, why are they doing that? They're impatient. Someone said something over here. Say it one more time. I can't get that. They're bored? Yes. You could say they're bored. But if they're bored, why are they bored? They're, they're time, they're, they're not only are they impatient, but they no longer like God. They knew God. They've been worshiping Yahweh for hundreds of years, generations. And they don't like him the way he is. And so, could you just create for us a new one? So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters, bring them to me. 
All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I can hardly even read those words. Isn't that wretched? Was it that calf who brought them out of Egypt? Answer the question. Was that the, did the calf bring them out of Egypt? No. What was the name of the God who brought them out of Egypt? Exactly. This next verse is chilling. Where's this? Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar. Where? Right in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. He named the calf the same name, Yahweh, that led them out of Egypt. Trying to hold on to God, but didn't really like Him, so they wandered from the truth and trying to make God something that suited their desires a little better. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings, just like they'd been instructed, many for hundreds of years, and peace offerings, just like they'd been instructed. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. They started doing things that were inappropriate for God's people to do, bringing in, doing things that the other nations would have done. Laughing, some, words, some Bibles use the word play, likely refers to sexual immorality. This is what they're doing in the name of God. If you know the story, the Lord becomes furious and he threatens Moses. He says, I'm going to wipe that whole nation out and I'll keep you. I'll start a new nation with you. But then there's this incredible kindness of God that's patient and God uses Moses to just execute a bit of judgment on the people. But that's a significant part of the story. First of all, Moses makes them, he grinds up the calf, makes them drink it and then and then 3,000 people end up dying as judgment for their wicked sin. Moses is acting in truth when he carries out God's judgment. Do you guys see it? He is acting in truth. Where's the love? He <laughs> loves right over there. Where is the love in Moses? He's acting in truth. He's doing things that seem harsh. 3,000 people got killed. They ground up the calf and he made them drink it and he mixed it with water and made them drink it. Where is the love? In the same chapter, I'll show you where the love is. Moses had it. Verse 32. 31, sorry. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves, but now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record. That's a pretty powerful example of how love and truth go together. 
Moses had to have God's love in him for to, be, to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, you can strike me down and actually I, I'm going to give up your presence. You can even throw me and cast me into hell if you would just save those people. You can't get more love than that. But did that stop Moses from speaking the truth? Let me give you an example in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and 2. Paul is writing to the Romans in the New Testament. And there are some really interesting similarities between this letter to the Romans and to the story I just told you in Exodus 32. Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This is Paul telling the Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. What does it mean to suppress the truth? Silence it. If you put a suppressor on the end of a gun, it's the silencer. They're suppressing the truth. They're silencing the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God, in His graciousness, has made it plain to them. But they silence the truth. Those people that He's talking about had an opportunity to know God, just like the Israelites did. God made it plain to them. The kindness of God made it plain to them. But what did they do with the truth? They suppressed it by their, by their wickedness. Very similar to the Old Testament story. Let's read verse 25 in chapter 1. They exchanged the truth, a noun, about God for a lie. They must have been listening to Satan. And worshipped and served created things, just like the Israelites, rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen? And the passage goes on to describe in pretty explicit detail the exact kind of sins that they were doing. And in the Old Testament account in Exodus 32, there was punishment for those sins. And look, we'll just keep on going in Romans 2, verse 2. We'll skip a few verses, but you'll get the idea. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. It's quite offensive, but for those who are self-seeking and those who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And you might say, where in that land is the love of God? I'll go slow. That was Romans 2, verse 2. Romans 2, verse 8. We're going to read Romans 2, verse 4. I'll show you what the love of God is. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance? And I put the word tolerance in there because some versions use that word tolerance or patience. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? There is an incredible kindness and patience about God that says, I am not inflicting judgment on you yet. What incredible kindness of the Lord. 
and you're thinking Paul is speaking these words that sound pretty harsh. They sound like Exodus 32, where the people were judged. It's the same kind of thing here. There is a wickedness going on. There's judgment that comes. Paul, where's your love? In the same letter in chapter 9, look at what he says. I speak... Okay, guys. I speak the truth in Christ. He is basing his truth on Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth, by the way. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That has to be God's love in Paul. How many times have you told the Lord, Lord, you can cut me off, send me to hell in eternity, if you would just save everybody else? That's a lot of love. But even in that place where Paul has that much love of Jesus, and you can't actually do that, and Paul couldn't actually do that, but that's in his heart. That's the love of the Lord in his heart. Because that's what God desires. God's, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Paul's just thinking the same way. But even in that place of love, he didn't skip out on words that are true. You remember how in part one we read that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected? And that ended up becoming the cornerstone. Whoever falls under the stone will be crushed. Whoever falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Jesus being the truth is uncomfortable for everyone. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, unveil, the veiling is, comes from unbelief if you read it in context, unveiled faces, we're contemplating the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into His image. Jesus came to transform us, not to affirm us. Here's a test. If your thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, even your desires don't line up with Scripture or God's character, then they need to change. Period. Even if it feels to you like it's just who you are. And if you understand, that's the truth of God. It's offensive. But if you understand his love, you'll even get to a place, like 1 John talks about, that you realize his commands aren't even burdensome because of his love. But people who don't understand his love find those commands awfully burdensome. But for those who persist in following the truth and desire to be broken to pieces so that they can fit on the cornerstone, there's an incredible benefit Can I tell you about the benefit? 
Do you guys care about the benefit? If you don't care about the benefit, go home and just be sour about the truth. But there's a significant benefit from following the truth. 1 John 2. We, we hope, we think, it could be a possibility. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep or obey His commands. Whoever says, I know Him but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But anyone who obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. And there again, just like love, Jesus is our example of how to live out truth. Just like He's our example of how to live out love. Jesus obeyed His Father's commands. Just like we must obey Jesus' commands. In 1 John 2.28, He says this, And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. That is a very significant benefit of following the truth. Amen? And we desire to speak the truth in what? In love. Let's pray. Jesus, we are going to need your help. Jesus, we are going to need your Holy Spirit to transform us. There is no way that we can muster up the kind of love that Moses and Paul had. We need your Holy Spirit to transform us. My desire is to conform to you as the cornerstone in my life, Jesus. That is the desire for me with this church. And I know that that is your heart for the entire church. Help us to walk that out and speak the truth in love, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand and sing closing.